0: Welcome to the Mordcast. Before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazie, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They are always online at bfwdenver.com. Whether you want some 2017 Cabernet, whether you you want some Blake Street Blend, uh, whether you want any of the the wines that they make from Sonoma County grapes, Blanchard Family Wines is your one-stop shop. Or you can go to bfwdenver.com, pick up some of those bottles yourself. If you don't want to go down, uh, the bottles are great, and they're great for a night out uh, with friends. If you're inviting some friends over, it's great wine. If you go down to the dairy block, they also got uh, partnerships with uh, Western Slope Wineries um, that uh, really give you an example of what Colorado has to offer in terms of wines. If you go to BFWDenver.com, you can also book yourself a virtual wine tasting, which are still extremely popular, Um, or you can pick yourself up a bottle there for delivery um, shipment or pickup, curbside pickup, or uh you can go pick yourself up some swag i mean they got everything you need at bfwdenver.com once again they're located between 18th and 19th and blake and Wazzy in beautiful lower downtown denver colorado just a couple blocks away from Coors field right in the middle of the dairy block they are always online at bfwdenver.com they are on facebook and instagram under blanchard family wines when you go in or you talk to them tell them jeff morton from csg podcast sent you down there What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on this Nuggets Down 03 Mortcast. Um, It's been a while, and it's taken me a while to really figure out what my role is here in the Nuggets media sphere. Um, And I use media in quotes. Um, I have really struggled with trying to find out what my role is here. And I think after last night's game and thinking about things last night, it really um, occurs to me that I I got to bring in some some of the perspective of history here. And this, to me, is fairly recent history, but I was shocked at how many people didn't know this. So I'm going to draw an analogy of the Denver Nuggets right now to the 2008 Denver Nuggets. The Carmelo Anthony, Allen Iverson, Marcus Camby. Um, Eduardo Nahara, uh, Kenyon Martin, um uh, J.R. Smith, um, Ron, and, uh, Stephen Hunter. No, we're not going to include him. Um, and one of the things that really occurs to me is that Nuggets team of the Iverson era, which only lasted from 06 to 2008. And it was the end of 2006. um, the, the, there's not a ton of parallels you can draw because that, that team is uh, was at a weird spot. Um, the, the Allen Iverson trade was done largely because Carmelo Anthony was going to be suspended. And there was some probably rightful panic that the Nuggets in the 15 games that Carmelo Anthony was suspended were going to uh, get right out of playoff contention. Um, so... That suspension and that fight, I believe, was in November, and then, or excuse me, in December, and then Carmelo was serving his, fi- November, yeah, it was November, and then he was serving his 15-game suspension um, for the slap um, on Marty Collins, right? I think it was Marty Collins. <laughs> anyway, they, um, uh, so that that is why Iverson came in, and then, of course, they wrote out these two years with Iverson until he really became an expiring contract. Um, In 2008, the Nuggets won 50 games, and it was the most games won uh, in Denver since, um, I believe it was uh, 1988, so they won one more game than they did at the end of the 04-05 season, and uh, they snuck into the playoffs in a really tough Western Conference, a ridiculous, ridiculously tough and very squeezed-together Western Conference. The Nuggets were on the bottom. Right behind them was the Golden State Warriors at 48 wins. At the top was the L.A. Lakers, the Western Conference champions that year, with 57 wins. There was a seven-game gap between uh, number uh, number one and number eight, which I don't think had, uh, there's never been a year like it, and there probably will never be. There's never been anything like that in one conference, and the Eastern Conference that year was awful, which probably contributed to why that the Western Conference was so good. And uh, in the Western Conference playoffs, there was a, just an enormous gap between the Nuggets and the Los Angeles Lakers. And the and the Lakers swept them out um, in in extremely embarrassing and chaotic fashion. Um, it, it featured a Game 3 with Carmelo Anthony yelling at George Carl to not just sit there and do something. Um, this, the team was in utter, utter disarray. And um, the Nuggets at that point made a bunch of decisions which didn't necessarily, um, they didn't necessarily intend it to impact the way it did that next season. Um, Stan Kroenke had decided he didn't want to pay the tax for, uh, under a performing team. And, uh, I believe, I believe that was the last time until this next season that, uh, uh, this next season that Stan Kroenke paid the tax. So I think 2008, and he didn't pay the tax. He's not going to pay the tax again until 2022, the offseason 2022, uh, depending on whatever new moves the Nuggets make. And I'll get into that later. But 14 years ago, there was just it was terrible. And they were in a bad place. So what ended up happening is that since Stan had decided that he didn't want to pay the tax anymore, uh, he let uh, um, basically directed them to get under the tax. So what happened was uh, they let Eduardo Nahara go and they also let um uh Marcus Camby go in a trade that netted them a 10 million dollar trade exception they traded him to the clippers and that part was the part that really got to people i mean that really that really could um basically um it, it, what it was was a salary dump in the most egregious sense. I've never seen a, a salary dump quite like this. It was blatantly to get under the tax. And uh, to which that trade exception, um, I believe uh, Mark uh, the one of the vice presidents that was uh, working for the Nuggets then, uh, referred to that trade exception as Big Bertha. So anyway, um, the Nuggets came into that season with a pared down roster, you know. And what was happening at the beginning of that season, and in fact through the preseason, it was very clear to Worcantine Chapman and uh the um the, the the no longer with us Brett Barrett that uh Iverson not only had lost a step, he'd lost two steps. And it happened really suddenly he showed very little sign of this happening the year before, but it was very clear that it happened over the the offseason. And the Nuggets um, had a $20 million uh, expiring deal with, with Iverson. So they parlayed that into trading for Chauncey Billups, and Chauncey... Um, uh, came along with actually there was more that had to go into it because Chauncey's salary didn't quite match up, so they, they included Antonio McDice, um, one over other player that is not occurring to me now, um, and uh, the Nuggets sent over Iverson. Um, unfortunately, McDice didn't want to play for the Nuggets anymore after being traded twice, so uh, the Nuggets worked out a buyout, and then he went back to Detroit. Um, so the Nuggets ended up with basically just Chauncey Billups. And the interesting thing about this was the immediate impact it had. And because it wasn't necessarily because Chauncey Billups was a better player than Allen Iverson. It was that Chauncey Billups was what they needed. He was exactly fit the thing that they needed to get to the next level, which ended up being in 2009, the Western Conference Finals and terrifying the Los Angeles Lakers. So the Nuggets ended up with 54 wins that year largely and I, and and largely due to car um, not Carmelo. Well, some of it had to do with Carmelo shaping up. Um, Carmelo t- started taking things a little more seriously. That offseason was the 2008 Olympics. Um, the the United the, I believe that was the first Šiševski um, coached team. And uh, it was a much better experience than what it was for Melo in the 2004 Olympics with Larry Brown. But really, Melo started taking things more seriously in 2008. And so five years into his career, he, he was beginning to get it. And he took himself more seriously. And that year is very interesting for Carmelo. He scored less, but he did other things more. Which uh, was what the team needed. He was still the best player on the team, but he, he, he needed to do other things than just try to score. And he really realized that that year. Chauncey being here helped. And uh, it was really a great thing. It really galvanized this team and turned them into a very mature team with a very good leader. And it was a very simple, in hindsight, it was a very simple trade. Um, that the Nuggets parlayed very really well. The, the, the Detroit Pistons initially, when they contacted the Nuggets and back in 2007-2008, wanted Carmelo Anthony to right the wrongs of their previous uh, 2003 draft. Um, and Joe Dumars was very much in it. But what Warkentine, and this was mostly his baby, um, what Warkentine did was wait him out and waited, and waited, and waited, and basically made it clear that Carmelo Anthony wasn't going there, and then parlayed Allen Iverson into that, and then what Dumars did was turn that into a giant expiring, which he wasted on Ben Gordon and uh, Charlie Villanueva, but there is a, there, there was this great move that at the, on the surface, you wouldn't think uh, would have affected the Nuggets the way that it did, and Chauncey, uh, was a good player, um, but a great leader. And by the time 2008, 2009 rolled around, which was 10 years into his career, um, Chauncey Billups had become a world-class leader. He had become the guy that he wasn't his first go-round in Denver in 2000, 99, 2000. Um, Chauncey really matured and became different you know, through his stops in Orlando and then um, uh, the Timberwolves and then to the the Detroit Pistons. Uh, he had progressed. He had significantly become the, the guy we know now who is now the coach of the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. Denver's favorite, Chauncey Billups. But that one move turned the Nuggets into a contender. Plus, ancillary things. Um, the other thing that the Nuggets did, other than in that offseason, other than letting uh, Marcus Camby go and Eduardo Nahara go, was acquiring um, Birdman, Chris Birdman Anderson, um, who was really uh, who was with the Nuggets from 2000, 2000 to 2000, uh, excuse me, 2001 to 2003. Uh, two thousand four. Excuse me. And then he went to the um, uh, New Orleans Hornets. Got into some serious drug offenses. Was suspended for two years, and was looking to come back. He's living in Larkspur, and you know the Nuggets were basically his hometown team. And so what the Nuggets did was go to him, say, we're going to give you this make good contract. We're going to see what you're going to have to offer. And really from that preseason, especially there was this game in Canada they played. I think it was in Edmonton that uh, he really started just doing his Birdman stuff. And he really hadn't had that before. He did the dunks, but he wasn't the persona known as Birdman his first time around in Denver. And that turned out to be another on the margins but a very good move. Um, the major move obviously was moving Iverson for, for Chauncey, but the other and less, you know, headline grabbing, but almost ne- nearly as consequential was getting Chris Anderson, and who really shored up that second unit in a way that um, they didn't have before, quite frankly. Um, and he wasn't chasing stats like Camby was. He was uh, just trying his best. He was doing his hustle thing. Chris, Chris Birdman Chris Birdman Anderson was not the greatest player in the world, but he was um, he was affecting. And I think that's the best way you. could. He was a personality. He was affecting, and he would galvanize people. And he would turn the Pepsi Center crowd, which it was known at the time, into a force. He would. He, the crowd loved him, and they, they would rev up, and the team fed off of that. And that was an on the margins move. So I'm going to draw on the second half of this podcast, I'm going to draw, try to draw as much parallels between that time and what's going on with the Nuggets in 2022 and see if there's going to be some similar things happening for this Nuggets statement. We'll be talking about that right after this break. You know, and um, the Nuggets are, are you know, they're, they haven't been swept as of this uh, um podcast, this podcast report recording, but I'm really, uh, after they lost a very close game, um, but the Nuggets fell apart at the end, and a lot of that had to do with um, Nikola Jokic having to play basically, all having no rest, and playing most, all but through two and a half minutes of the uh, fourth quarter. I think that it finally just caught up to him at the end, and he was he was tired. Um, but all that aside it it, w- it was what it was. it was it was if the, even if the nuggets stole that game, they were they, they're not gonna win that series. Uh, and no team has come ever come back from three o down. Um, the nuggets have in ninety four came back from three o down to tie it, but it, this is just it's so rare. For this to happen that I'm, I'm already moving on. And I'm not going to do an off-season uh, wrap-up and what the Nuggets can do until after this series um, comes through. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it more in depth after that. We don't need that right now. So in 2022, the Nuggets, um, in the way they can improve this, don't have a ton of options other than letting players go. And fans believe that it's easy to move a lot, uh, move on from a contract like uh Will Barton's say for example and it's not um, as people always tell me in the league and this has been true forever is that you need it takes two to tango and some sometimes these contracts just require someone attaching a draft pick in order to move them you know Um, it it really is just sometimes a guy cannot be moved and you really need two teams to be interested in the same movement. And that doesn't always work. People, fans tend to think that it's just a binary, that it's just, you know, we'll just move on, you know, cut his ass, you know, we'll we'll eat the the 15 million in salary or something like that, you know? Um, or just, you know, get him off the team, all this stuff. I mean, that still affects the cap and all this. It's just, What the Nuggets are in is a bit of a bind for next year, aside from counting on Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray coming back completely healthy. And that is where we get into the margins. Um, This is going to be a margins team. I don't anticipate Jeff Green, Jamichael Green. um, I don't anticipate Faku or... um, you know uh, who else uh, Demarcus cousins, I don't anticipate or even or even Austin rivers those are guys that are contracts that are just off the books at that point um, and I don't anticipate um them making any serious uh moves to keep all but maybe one or two of those guys um because this team needs as much space as it possibly can get to make a move um, because of the three contracts at the top it and for excuse me four contracts if you include Aaron Gordon it's really hard to make a big move uh, the Nuggets are kind of you know they may pull a rabbit out of the hat but it's not as if they have a ton of wiggle room here folks and I think coming into this and someone uh forgive forgive me if i don't remember your name uh but someone on twitter says no that this team is uh is isn't more difficult to improve than 2018 i'm talking about improving on the margins and the nuggets the nuggets just don't have a lot of room to move and unlike that 2008 nuggets team which did a salary dump and then um would had a twenty million dollar expiring deal they can leverage to get Chauncey Billups. Um this this Nuggets team is I, I would say top heavy but kind of unproven top heavy. Uh we have a we have nine games in twenty twenty one that it is, you know, it's it's great, it's giving everyone hope, but I mean uh, talk about small sample size theater and i'm not saying this to 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 pes- make everyone pessimistic you we've seen nikola jokic and a bunch of uh quite frankly players that are not top end with apologies to aaron gordon you have seen what jokic can do 48 games this this 48 wins now this season felt weird they couldn't win at home and which as as i discussed a few podcasts ago has been a uh basically the a pattern since two thousand thirteen um there i mean there is no reason a forty eight win nuggets team should have twenty three wins at home that was that was embarrassing and this is not necessarily a one off thing this has been true for a while aside from two thousand eighteen and two thousand nineteen this nuggets team has kind of struggled to win at home and it's, it's perplexing. But this, aside from all that, which we, you know, is well-worn territory, the Nuggets, what this series has done is just proven that the Nuggets need the margins and they need the margins shown up, shorn up, excuse me. And the problem this team is having is they don't necessarily have a bunch of room that they can do this with. They don't They just don't have a ton of options. You know, even Monte Morris, which is he's on a great contract, but you need him as your backup point guard, right? You got Bones under contract. You got Zeke Nagy under contract. Um, But all the other ancillary things are not. uh, It's just not good enough. Even with a fully healthy Nuggets team, it's just not good enough. And they need more than they need a Chauncey Billups move. They need a Chris Birdman-Anderson move. They need that guy who's a dog. Um, someone had said this before. I forget where I heard this, but I, I would credit you if I, if I uh, knew. Um, I think it was the radio. Was, I think Zach Byte was talking about it yes, um, yesterday. This Nuggets team has no dogs. They just have no dogs. They don't have a guy that's going to go out and mess you up. And quite frankly, no one takes DeMarcus Cousins seriously enough for that to be a factor. No one does. So what the Nuggets need is a guy who's going to be a dog who's going to galvanize them defensively. I think they fundamentally play the wrong way for Denver. Uh, I will maintain that forever. Um, I think they, they are not... They don't spend enough time in the city to get used to the altitude. Um, I think the team gets more affected by the altitude for some reason than the opposing teams that come in, which you can see as as Jokic was completely gassed at the end of the game last night. And um, look, Jokic Jokic had a great game, but you just you know you can only ride that guy for so much. And this Nuggets team is just running on fumes. In a way, it would have been better if the Nuggets got into the play-in, and I know that's sacrilege, but um, it, it it would have been better if they were able to do that. I know people don't like the play-in. I, I myself don't care for it. I, I don't think you should spend your day, your your entire year getting into what would normally be playoff position, and if you're a seven seed, and then suddenly not being in a seven seed because you had a bad two-game stretch. Um, I don't necessarily think that is the spirit of NBA basketball, but I'm I'm old school, so... Uh, that's just me, but but I think what people need to think about is what the Nuggets can do on the margins to get uh, more dog in them and and more uh, improve on a thing on things that they need. And and quite frankly, one thing they do need, and this is no slight to Nikola Jokic, he 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 is a leader in a um, in a best player kind of way, but they need a guy who's just going to rally the troops. Um, I think Jamal can be that, but, um, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I just don't know. They need a vet, I think. So these are just v- various thoughts right now. I'm not going to get into specifics until uh, the off season. Uh, they got one more game to play. I don't know. Maybe they steal that one, but I I, I think the writing is on the wall, unfortunately. This doesn't mean doom. That Nuggets team in 2008 improved basically on the margins and got Chauncey Billups and became a Western Conference Finals team. If you look at the roster on 2007 uh, Nuggets and then you go to the 2007-2008 2000, uh, Nuggets and you go to the 2008-2009 Nuggets, there's Chauncey Billups who's different and there is uh, um, Chris Birdman Anderson and, and and Dante Jones. Dante Jones came in. He he was a dog, but those were number. Those were those were moves that were low cost, but they added a lot, and that's what the Nuggets need to be doing: low cost moves that add a bunch of character and a bunch of dog. They are at that point right now. If they can find that, if they can find that kind of thing, that mix to mix with this, that won't interfere with the already, you know, what whatever the rock locker room chemistry is right now. Uh, I think they can turn this into a next-level team. Um, but at, that's easier said than done. And uh, this Nuggets team uh, is doesn't have a lot of wiggle room. This is going to be the most consequential offseason of Tim Connelly's era here in Denver. And I'm curious to see how they handle it. All right, thank you all for joining me on the latest part of the CST Network. I'll be back soon with another episode. Goodbye.